This is To The Point. A rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Okay, so who in here actually got to hear the podcast that we had done with Howard? Raise your hand. So you have a little bit of the history of what he's done and the things that he's accomplished. And, um, you know, we, when we were talking about what we wanted to do here, um, it was, you know, he doesn't want to know the questions, which I always respect that when somebody doesn't want to know the questions ahead of time, even though I like to prep. You've done this a time or two. Yeah. yeah. So um, I got to ask a new set of questions just about things I've learned since we've done the podcast and things about business. So when you took Starbucks International, how much did culture actually play into that with the different cultures that you're going into? Well, culture played everything because we had to be who we were. It doesn't make any difference whether you're in Tokyo, whether you're in London, whether you're in Dubai. Starbucks is Starbucks no matter where you go. And how we treated our people, no matter what the local culture was, we were going to treat our people the way we wanted to treat our people. And that's what we did. Very seldom was there a conflict because what you learn after a while when you open stores in 94 countries, which we have now, uh, that people are people. Everybody wants to be treated with respect and dignity. Everybody wants to love and be loved. Everybody wants to grow as individuals. Everybody wants to be uh, recognized for the work that they do. And so those things are universal. And if you get those things right, it works. And if everybody understands the greater purpose of the organization, which is serving people, that, that translates into any language and any culture. So I can remember hearing you talk about um, at one point in time when you were at the furniture store. Yeah. Way back. Way back. Listening to, like, the walls. Yeah. Explain what that meant when you were listening to the walls. Just kind of what was what were you doing when you were just sitting in the store by yourself listening to? Well, the I, was, I was 22 years old, and it was my first opportunity to manage, really manage a store. I'd grown up in the home furnishings business, but it was family business, and this was not family. And I went to work for a guy in Salem, Oregon, and his name was Sid Sheckman. And he had two stores, and I got to manage one of them. And one day he came in talking to me, and we were going around the parking lot picking up cigarette butts. And, and he said, Howard, have you ever sat in the store after you closed, locked the door, and just sit in the middle of the showroom and listen to the walls talk? Did that seem a little odd to you? Because huh? it seemed a little odd to me. Yeah, totally odd. I said, what are you talking about, Sid, listening to the walls talk? And he said, seriously, I want you to, I want you to, after you close the store tonight, I want you to sit in the middle of the showroom, and I want you to turn off the lights and lock the doors, and I want you to just listen to the walls talk. And I'm thinking, he's nuts, right? So I go in and I do that, and that night, I didn't hear shit, sorry. <laughs> I, heard, I heard nothing. And I and he said, and I called off, I said, I didn't hear anything, Sid. And he said, do it again. And so it took me a couple of weeks until finally the wall started to talk to me. And what the, you'd be surprised how the walls talk back to you because the walls absorb the energy of what's going on in the building. And I was sitting there one, the night when it finally clicked, and I could feel a tension in the building that something was off. I didn't know what it was, but I could feel it. So the next morning, I called a meeting with all the staff, the salespeople, the delivery people, and I said, is something going on that I need to know about that, I, that, I'm, not, that I'm not getting, I'm not listening to? And it was like a dam broke loose. And they were mad at me because of some decisions I made, but nobody was willing to say anything. But because it, the walls absorbed the energy, and if you think I'm wrong, here's what I want you to do. Next time you go to a friend's house, and they offer to go get you something to drink. Sit down. Don't go with them. Sit in the living room. Sit down in chairs. They're getting you something to drink. Close your eyes and see if you don't feel the energy in the place. You will. And I got to the point at Starbucks where I could go into Starbucks after the stores were closed. And can I always tell you what was going on in that store just by the energy? It sounds like a ridiculous thing, but it's true, and it works. You just have to see. We all have these little antenna that we can't see. Right? They're the antenna that allows to tune into other human beings and to what's going on in the world. So, to, so how many of you have significant others who are married? 
Raise your hand. Okay, so if you walk into your house at night, does your husband or wife have to say anything before you know where they are for that day? <laughs> they don't need to say a word, do they? You get it right away. You know when you're in deep shit or when you're not. <laughs> right? And they haven't said a word. So, the, you know, you can just feel the energy in the room. And that's what we're talking about. Got it. So you you did this at the Starbucks locations. Yeah. Did you get anybody else doing this at Starbucks locations? Did I get other, other people? Yeah, did you have other it? people doing the same thing? Oh, yeah, other people would do the same thing. No, you know, not everybody. Most people can't deal with it. It's too far. It's too big a, <laughs> a gap. But I'll tell you that it works. Because really, it, I mean, really what you're tuning into is the energy that's going on. And you can feel that. And, and we all can tune into it. We can walk up and meet somebody new. We don't know who they are. We get introduced to them, but we can feel something, can't we? They don't have to have said a word. If you tune into it, it means you've got to listen, not just with your ears. You've got to listen with your eyes, and you've got to listen for what's not being said. But it's there. And your people, you can feel it with your people. You, you know, when somebody walks in the morning, they don't have to say a word to you, right? You know how they're feeling for that day. And good leaders tune into that. They don't have to wait to be told something. They tune into it. Got it. I think. <laughs> Take a pill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I tried it, and and I did it. Like I, I think I'm too. My thought. My, I just started thinking about everything else, and so I think I defeated the purpose of sitting there. Yeah. But I did try it. Yeah. But when I'm going to keep trying. Some of you tried it this morning and you closed your eyes and I'm sure that's what you were doing is you were trying to feel the energy in the room. They sucked the energy out of themselves last night, Howard. That's what happened. Um, but I want to get this thing back on track One, just talk about culture because one thing to you, we were kind of talking about why everybody went to lunch was just how this word is thrown around quite a bit. And you got to hear what everybody said about what they believe the impact on their culture was. Do you remember what that conversation I was did. about? Yeah, I did. Share your thoughts on what you heard from this group on culture. I heard a lot of talk about benefits. I heard a lot of talk about pay. I heard a lot of talk about rewards. That's not culture. Those are things that we do, but those are tickets to play. Good pay is a ticket to play. Patting your people on the back is a ticket to play. Sending, you know, all of them count, right? But every, every one of your organizations has a culture, whether you know it or not. Cultures are, there, cultures are a direct reflection on not what you say, but what you do. They're a direct reflection not on what you say, but what you do. You know, we've often heard that. People don't care how much you know, want to care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And so culture is a reflection on you and the leadership of the organization in terms of how you act. So uh, you all have uh, probably gone through this. You have somebody that doesn't live up to the expectations of the organization. And your whole organization knows it. But you don't do anything about it. You let that person sit. Maybe they, they're great. They're great. They bring in tons of business. And you know every time, they're always bringing in more and more business. But they're assholes, <laughs> right? And, and, they, and they, they dig at the roots of your organization. But you keep them anyway because you like the sales and you like the money they're bringing in. But when you do that, what does it say about you? What does it say about your, are your values really, you hold your values dear or will you sell your values? And so culture is alive and breathing. It isn't a program du jour. It isn't stuff, Right? It's the why we are here. What's the, it starts with the greater purpose of the organization. Like, I forget who said it. The greater purpose isn't the, in the organization isn't for you to put big bucks in your pocket and make a lot of money so you can put your kids through a great college or buy a bigger house. The greater purpose of the organization is to serve other human beings. There is not one thing that any of us will do in our lives that isn't about serving others. Doesn't make any difference whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, fire chief, engineer, whether you're a plumber, electrician, right? Whether you're a widget maker. Everybody is put on this earth to serve other human beings. And if you think you're not, you're wrong. 
And when we get in tune with that, everything seems to work. It's And the thing, some people were talking about it. I heard, I was listening to the group about how you're building connections between people, right? And what's the most, in connection, most important connection you're going to build? Trust. So I'll give you an experience. So I have a house in Palm Springs, and there's always something wrong with that house. I don't care. I live half the year in Seattle, and I come back in the in the wintertime. There's always something wrong. Well, this time the air conditioner was out, right? That's convenient. So that was convenient. Yeah, somebody got some business, right? So who did I call? Fish. Huh? Fish. <laughs> no, I called the Fish and Air. Anybody know them? They're a small company in, in, in Palm Springs. Why did I call them? Because my contractor said he, I said, who do you use? He says, these are people I trust. So I've used them now for 15 years. Anytime I have a problem, they're not the cheapest. I don't even know whether they're the cheapest. I have never gone out and got another estimate. I just said, what do we need to do? Right? And what will it cost? And they give me a price and I say, go ahead. That's all. And why do I do that? Because of trust. And that comes with building the kind of culture in your organization. If your people trust each other, if they trust you, if you trust them, then the people you're serving, those people we call customers, they're going to trust you too. And that builds your business. And that gets the repeat business. So I want to move on to um, how you, you talked about how using culture as a recruiting tactic yeah. and how you guys did that at, at Starbucks because obviously when you go from that massive volume of locations needs a lot of employees, yeah. right? And a lot of right. people and a lot of buy-in. Right. So how are you utilizing that to help with recruiting, culture to help with recruiting? Uh, you have to repeat, 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 repeat. When you get tired of talking about your your mission and your greater purpose in the organization and why you're all here, you got to talk about it again. You just, because people never get tired of hearing the message and they never get tired of hearing how they can contribute to that greater purpose. And they never get tired of, tired of hearing when they've contributed to that greater purpose and being recognized for it. And so that's all I really did. Once we had 300 stores, I knew every store manager. I knew everybody's talking about their wives, their, their children. I knew the numbers of their stores. Once it got past 300, it got pretty difficult for me, right? But. I still kept pounding away at the greater purpose of the organization. Our, our mission, our BHAG at Starbucks, was to be one of the most well-known organizations in the world, known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. One of the most well-known and respected organizations known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. Not a word about coffee, not a word about how big we were going to be, not a word about how much money we were going to make. And that's what we drove home. And that's what we held dear. And did we, did we break trust with that? Now and then we did, and we paid a price for it. And we had to recover, because leaders are, were always making mistakes, but we always had mechanisms to figuring out when we'd made a mistake. And the other thing that I coined this phrase, that we weren't in the coffee business serving people, but we were in the people business serving coffee. Sounds like a small play on words, but it's true, right? You're, you're, not, you're, not in the, you're not in the plumbing business. You're in the people business. And all of you were talking about it, the group we're talking about, hiring, getting the right kind of people in the door. Like attracts like. I forget who mentioned that here. Somebody mentioned that. That when you, when you get good people, they just attract people. They attract the people. Starbucks doesn't, we don't have training programs. First of all, I think you train pets. You educate and develop human beings. Our job is to educate and develop people, not train them. And that's what we focused on. And we stayed focused on it. And always reminding the people that we're here to nurture and inspire the human spirit. We do it for each other first. And then we do it for those human beings we serve called customers. And we just stayed with that. And I gave that speech, I can't even, thousands and thousands of times across the whole world. I never changed it. I use some different examples now and then to reinforce it because people remember the stories more than remember the words. If I tell a story that supports the point that I'm trying to get across, then they, they never forget the story because that becomes the why, not the what. 
And people remember the why long before they remember the what. So it's, I just kept doing it. That was my job. You know, my job, my job was chief storyteller. And to reinforce why we we're here and then hold people accountable to that. I mean, servant leadership, all this, by the way, is about performance. Everybody thinks this is a bunch of soft stuff. This is about performance and about measuring performance, holding yourself accountable to performance first, and then holding your people accountable to performance, but in a good way. You don't get performance on the backs of people. You get performance with people. When you focus on serving your people, when you focus on helping your people get what they want out of their lives, get, become better human beings, number one, become better professionals, number two, and, and uh, achieve their goals in life, number three. They will want to do the same thing for you. It becomes effortless. You don't have to tell them to do anything because they want to do it. And so, you know, I have a saying, another saying that I like, the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. We hire great people, and then the first thing we do is give them all the rules under threat of death if they break a rule. But that's not really what we want, is it? We want to tell people why we're here, what their contribution is in, in, in creating the results of the organization and, and achieving our greater purpose. And, and, then, and then you ask them, what can you do to help them? And if they come back to you and say, you know, I don't like the broom the purchasing department gave us, don't roll your eyes and say, just use the broom they gave you. You know, listen up and ask what kind of broom would they like to use? And why do they want to use it? And if they say they could think they could increase results by 5 or 10%, floor sweeping productivity by 5 or 10%, listen. They may not always be right. How many of you know Frappuccino? Anybody know that drink, Frappuccino at Starbucks stores? So let me tell you about a broom. So there's a young woman named Dina Campion. She was a district manager in Southern California when we first opened up in Southern California. And one day she invited me to come down and go on a tour of her stores and some of our competitor stores. And one of our competitor stores was selling a product like Frappuccino. And she said to me, and Howard, we have nothing like this. We gotta have something like this. We got 30 people a day coming into our stores asking for a beverage like this. So, you know, you're looking at a guy that barely got out of high school and never graduated from college. I had a couple of years at community college, but I was good at beer. And that was about what I was good at. And uh, by the time I got out of there, I was really good at single malt scotches. And, <laughs> but so Dina said, let's get a product, product like this. So I took her idea back to Seattle. And I wasn't head of product development. I was head of operations. And I said to the person that was head of product development, a guy named George, who was head of marketing product development, I said, you know, George, Dina's got this idea, a broom. She wants to buy, get a new broom. Only it was a beverage, because her goals were to, to help her people grow and to serve her customers and grow, business, grow the business. So I explained the idea to George and said, Howard, I appreciate Dina, but, but you know, we're in the coffee business. You know, we're, we're not going to sell a product like that. We're going to stay pure and stay in the coffee business. So I pleaded with him. I said, let's give it a try. But he said no, and, you know, it was his decision. So... Yeah, I was disappointed, but I went and I called Dean up and said, you know, let's give it six months. We'll come back at it again another way. And about three weeks later, I get another, another call like Dean. And I hope all of you have a, a person like Dina on your team. They're like those little dogs with the really sharp teeth. And, they, you know, they sink their, cap, their teeth into your cap. And no matter how much you try to shake them off, you know that person that has, has the idea and they just beat you to death, right, until you finally listen to them? That was Dina. So finally... Dina invites me to come down again. I said, Dina, what do you want? So I want to show you something about that beverage. I said, Dina, you know what the answer was? She goes, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll come down. I have, a, I have a trip to make to San Diego to look at some real estate. I'll stop on my way back to Santa Monica. So I visited her at the 3rd Street Promenade store in Santa Monica, a big store for us. And I was sitting in the bar, up in the chairs and the bar stools, and she brought me these three little sample cups that we give out. And she had, she and a barista and a store manager had made up a drink like this competitor had. And I said, Dina, are you trying to get me fired? Right? And she said, no, Howard, please let us try this. 
Well, it was one of those times as a leader that we all go through where you have to make a decision that may go against the, the kind of the organization or, the, or the, the stream of the river in your organization. Might go against maybe somebody that you reported to. Or might even go against something that somebody reports to you doesn't wants to do or doesn't want to do. And so I said, okay, you can try it, but do not tell anybody. No, you can't have any signs. You can tell your customers that you have it. So I said, I want you to call me every night and tell me what the sales were. So the first week, she didn't sell 30 drinks a day. She sold 50 drinks a day. Now, 50 drinks a day times, these drinks were selling for about four bucks, right? So that was pretty good, right? That was about six, 1400 bucks a week. That was gonna be about, uh, about a 10% lift in our volume at that time. That was significant for us. The second week, 70 drinks a day. I'm thinking to myself, Howard, you are a genius. <laughs> so I invited Dina up, and sure enough, I, I invited all the usual suspects, and this time I invited Howard Schultz, who was the CEO and chairman of the board, into the meeting. And I had Dina and her team come and bring the drinks in, and I had this piece of paper with the results on it. And if this continue to do what we were going to do, it was going to be huge. And George stood up and he got about a foot from my face, pointed his finger at my nose and he said, Howard, I told you this is my decision, it's not yours, I want you to stop this. Now, and he looked at Schultz and he said, you tell Bihar to stop this. And I'm an unemotional guy if you can't tell. And I took the piece of paper and I slammed it down on the table. I said, yeah, George, look at these numbers. And I looked at Schultz and I said, give me 90 days. You don't like the smell in 90 days, we'll stop. I've been in retail my whole life, and I know if you have a product that's selling, it never goes away. So 90 days passed, the sales just continued to zoom. Eventually, it became 20% of Starbucks business. It is now a $4 billion business at Starbucks. Now, all, all because Dina and her broom. Now, most brooms aren't $4 billion brooms. Most of them are small things. But that's the way you grow your business. And that builds to the culture of the company. When you're willing to try things, make mistakes, right, and forgive people for the mistakes, and you're willing to go out on a limb sometimes. You know, I wasn't, I'm not pleading for anarchy here. You can't do everything. But, you know, you can't just roll your eyes when somebody has an idea. Maybe you can't talk about it then, but you can talk about it later. And you'd be surprised what your people know about your business. Who, there's nobody at Starbucks that knows more about what our, the people we're serving want than, than the baristas and the store managers. Nobody. But yet everybody at the support, what we call the support center, thinks they do. And, but they don't. And so all we have to do is listen. And they'll tell us what we need to do. Yeah, and isn't that something that you guys continue to implement? Like a lot of the new products yeah. or drinks came yeah. from the actual baristas or yeah. the stores? Yeah. Is that, that's like an ongoing thing. That's Always. Endless. It's endless. As, you know, we had, we had four rules. Don't do anything legal. Don't do anything immoral. Don't do anything unethical. And don't poison anybody. And if you if could live within those four rules, then we'd try it. And we did. And we made a lot of mistakes. A bottled Frappuccino came from a huge failure in a product called Mazagran, which was a bottled Coca-Cola. We'd spent $5 million on research thinking this was going to be a blowout success. It was a joint venture with Pepsi-Cola. Within three months, it was dead. But we went on, tried the next thing, the next thing, and that's what we do. It's a never-ending cycle of experimentation and trying new things. So because you have, like, you have this culture where people can come in and make the suggestions for you, and then you clearly went and fought for that person, that, yeah. sure that spread, and it became... yeah. A what billion dollar? Four billion. Four billion dollar. That's a an extreme example, but yeah. it was. It's part of what allows the culture to be to yeah. do is you you fought, you pushed back, you you gave it a try, you yeah. believed it, you fought for it, yeah. and it was successful. You got to be breeds. telling to break. The, sometimes as leaders, you got to be take take the risk. You got to be willing to break your own rules in things that are a service of the organization. So have you, I mean, what I, what I try to wrap my head around is when you came in and there's 28 stores and it was 1989, right? Did this exist at Starbucks before you came in there? No. Like, so you, so 
But 28 locations, where, where, all those 20, where were those 28 locations roughly? They're the, basically Seattle. Pacific Northwest, gotcha. in Chicago and up here in Vancouver, British Columbia. So, smartac.com, smartac.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. Smartac.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Enough stores where they had already had a culture in place. Did you have to then change that culture? Yes. So I had to how convince, does that? I had to convince people that we weren't in the coffee business. That was not easy. We, you know, like all entrepreneurial organizations, you know, you, you, whatever you're doing, you you decide you, you leave a company and you're a service tech and what some other company said, I'm going to open my own plumbing shop. Right. And you think you're in the plumbing business, but you're not. The minute you hire one person, you're now you're in the people business. Right. Because that's the only way you're going to grow is with the people that you hire. It's the only way. There's no other path, right? Unless you're a single person that's going to put in toilets yourself, you know, or whatever you do yourself. But you're not going to get very big if it's only you, right? And so it's you're in the people business. And so that's what I had to convince everybody, that, that we weren't in the coffee business. Didn't mean that coffee wasn't important. Yeah, we sell coffee. But it wasn't the business that we're in. And, you know, if we attracted great people and those people attracted people like themselves, then we would grow. If we didn't do that, then we would falter. And, and it was so obvious. You know, if we had the right store manager in the right store, there could be a 20, 20 to 40% difference between a, a, a good store manager and a bad store manager. We could take a store that wasn't doing well and put a really good store manager into that store manager, and almost within the first three months, that store manager would lift sales by 20%. Nothing else would change. It's the same location, the same customer base coming in. And it almost became a rule. You know, we would try to help our people. We couldn't fire everybody where the volume wasn't what we thought it should be. We tried to coach them and help them. But eventually, if they couldn't get it, we had to make a change. And that was holding each other accountable. You know, and we did that. And it was almost a rule that if you made that change, you got the right person in the right spot, they would automatically lift the business. I'll give you an example. So we, we opened in Singapore, and I made a we did everything through joint venture partners in international. So I put a joint venture together with a, a local... Singaporean, and I made a huge mistake. I bet on his resources, his uh, real estate resources, his economic resources, and he had some experience in the fast food business in Burger King. But I didn't realize he was a bad guy. He wasn't a people guy. I didn't get that. It's just that's the thing I always prided myself on that I would recognize those things, and I bet on the wrong thing. And that guy almost destroyed our business. And it took us eight years to get him out because we had a joint venture. And finally, we, got, we paid the price and we bought him out. We got him out. And we put our own people in. We put our own president of the organization. Within a year, we had lifted the business 60%. All we did was change the leadership. It's the people that count. It's always the people. It's not the product. You all sell the same Toto toilet, right? Probably half of you sell Lennox or whatever the brands are that you sell, right? So, you know, I can go buy that product in a zillion different places. I'm not buying that product. I'm buying you, and I'm buying your people, and that's it, and that's how it works. So I want to, before I open it up to everybody else, too, I just want to ask, or ask this question because I noticed in the, I can't remember which one of the books it was I, I was reading, but that you never mention your competition. No. 
So not once did I read anything about competitors in there. No. Why? Because we only compete against ourselves. It's to be the best that we can be, not to be the best that somebody else is. And if, you know, if, you, if you get, I mean, it doesn't mean we didn't know what was going on. We did. But, but we weren't focused on it at all. And we just said, here's who we are. When we first started, when I first joined Starbucks, you know, our, our coffee wasn't for everybody. You know, my father-in-law used to take about a teaspoonful of Starbucks ground coffee and put it in with a whole cup of Folgers because it was too dark roasted for him. He couldn't stand it. There was an article in Consumer Reports that on the front page of Consumer Reports that said Charbucks. How'd you like to have to deal with that branding? Charbucks. It was over roasted and it was burnt. That's how they described us. But we didn't change. There were a lot of people that had light roasted coffee, but this was who we were. And this is what we wanted to be. Now we have some lighter roast, but, but we weren't going to change because this is who we were and we stuck with it. And, it's, and we were different. Yes, were we for everybody? No. But we would take pride in the fact that we weren't for everybody. You know, we didn't want, we, we couldn't be everything to any, everybody. We could be to a, a subset of people that like what we did. And slowly but surely, we changed the coffee business in the United States. If you think about what people consumed 30 some years ago to what they consume as coffee today, it is a thousand percent different. And that, I'll tell you, it's because of Starbucks, period because we stayed with that knitting in a dark roast coffee. I mean, we didn't create it. It came from a man named Alfred Pete, who had some coffee stores in San Francisco. And we had the, our, the original founders of Starbucks worked at Pete's. And the original coffee that Starbucks sold came from Pete's. But it was a dark roasted Northern European style of coffee, and we brought it to the United States. So a couple quick questions. There's or, uh, things. Does anybody else's kids go to Starbucks and it drives you nuts a little bit? Because you know they don't really like Starbucks. They're just going to go to Starbucks. Or do we, if you do that? <laughs> because it's become more, like, this is where it's not about the coffee. It's like when my daughter says she's going to Starbucks, well, now my little boy does, who's eight or two, who's 12. He goes, every time he gets something, doesn't never like any of it. He's 12. He doesn't want to, he, you don't know what he's getting. But he never likes it, but he wants to go because it's the coolest thing to do. Yeah. Like that's what, that has become to some of the younger generation. Yeah. So well, it's, it's so much place. more. It became a place as more than it became a product. You know, you'd go in and my, my grandkids would go to Starbucks to study and drink a Frappuccino at five bucks a crack, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, cause I was giving them free cards, mm -hmm. you know, so they had no budget. <laughs> they liked it. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. So I remember another one, just a random story. And I want you to, to share it because I think it's always great to recognize when we mess up. I think you were on vacation and you made a change. Do you know where I'm going with this? I know where you're going. And then you had to maybe cut that vacation a little bit short because it, it was a big change yeah. to what was one of the pricing on a product? You no, know, it was labor. labor. At, at the time, when I started at Starbucks, we were basically paying minimum wage. And I said, we're not going to grow this company on the backs of minimum wage. I want to raise wages. Well, you know, that was a shockwave through the co company because how are you going to pay for it? So we did all our numbers and, and uh, we modeled it all out and we had it. And I thought it was going to cost us about 1% of sales. So, and that, after all the modeling. So the first P&L came out just as I'd gone on vacation after we had raised the wages. Well, it wasn't 1% of sales, it was 2% of sales, which is significant to a company that was at that time we were losing money. So I get this call from Howard Schultz, and he said, hey, buddy, I think you made a mistake. You know, I'm thinking, I'm there only four months, five months, and I'm thinking, oh, that's going to be the fastest job I've ever lost. <laughs> and I came back, and, you know, we made a huge mistake. We'd, we'd modeled it wrong. But I wasn't going to go back. I couldn't go back. I'd made a commitment. And the commitment was to significantly raise white rages. We raised them about, I think, $1.50 an hour, which was pretty significant. And, and I just figured out how I was going to pay for it, what I had to cut, 
where I could get some more price increases, and we stayed with it. But it, it just was part of the deal. But I was sweating, let me tell you. <laughs> I was sweating. Um, so I'll, one more thing, and we'll open up to some questions. But um, I got to know, like, what's your best Starbucks story? It's got to be some good that you could share publicly. Well, I, I think the most single most meaningful Starbucks story is this. So I started with the company in August of 89, and I actually retired in 2010 off the board. But I, uh, a store manager named Jim, uh, who was running one of our stores in Seattle, in the Broadway district in Seattle, called me up and he said, Howard, I'd like to come visit you and Howard Schultz. Well, I figure I'm, you know, the guy running the operations now. I can, Schultz doesn't have to get involved. And so I said to Jim, well, can I, can I deal with this with you or do you really need to see Howard? He said, no, I really want to see both of you. And so I said, okay. And I set up a date for both Howard and I to meet with him. And the day arrived and Jim came in and we went back into Howard Schultz's office and we sat down, Jim and I sat down in this little love seat. Howard was on the phone. He just said, hey, wait just a minute. And so Howard gets on the phone. Howard knew Jim because, you know, Jim had been there a long time, long before I'd been there. And, uh, and so I said, I'm an A-type personality, so I wanted to get to the point. So Jim, what can we do for you? Well, I was sorry I was such an A-type personality when I asked that question. And Jim just looked at Howard and he said, I need to tell you both something. I'm dying and I'm dying of AIDS. Now this is in 1989. Now, you know, at that time, none of us really knew was AIDS something that AIDS something you get by people breathing on you? You know, how do you, exactly how do you get AIDS? And I kind of was wanted to slide over, except there was no room in the love seat. So I was kind of stuck sitting next to Jim. And so Howard looked at Jim and 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 he said to Jim, Well, what can we do for you? And Jim said, Well, I'd like to work as long as I can work. And Howard said, absolutely. Now, remember, we're in a food and beverage business. AIDS, food and beverage business, you know? Um, and Howard just said, absolutely. You can work as long as you want to work, and when you can't work anymore, we will pay your salary until you're no longer with us. Pay your salary until you're no longer with us. And then Howard said, how are you going to pay for your health care? Now, nobody knew what it was going to cost. Nobody knew how long people were dying, but nobody knew how long people were going to live. And Howard said, we're going to pay your all your health care costs, no deductible anything. Now, remember, we're a small company, losing money. And here's a young CEO. Howard Schultz at that time was about 33 years old. He was 10 years younger than I was. And here's a guy saying, we're going to do what it takes for a human being because we're going to take care of another human being. Now, you want to talk about walking your talk, that we were a people company, people-centric company. He didn't even blink. It could have cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars. We didn't know. But he, and what kind of, what kind of story did that to take off through the organization? I never doubted once from that point on that I could do anything I needed to do for another human being in the company, no matter what it was. And that's the message that went through the company. And that's what we did. And we've stayed with it the whole time. And, and that's what drove the culture of the company. And we did opposites of that. When we, I'm not so proud of the things that we did that destroyed part of the culture of the company. But most of the time, we lived up to it. And we did the things that nobody expected from us. And you grew it to, when, when, by the time you left, it was... What? Uh, uh, in volume, it was about uh, 15 billion, and now it's about 32 billion. A market cap of about 107 billion. It's a lot of coffee. Yeah, and other stuff. And other stuff. <laughs> yeah, and 500,000 people that work for the company. 500,000 in all those countries. I mean, I just spent my whole life. I spent 70%, 70 of my life on an airplane. You know, traveling around the world, putting deals together, giving my speech. You know, I do a lot of television interviews. The only two things I talk about, number one, the people, number two, the coffee. I, if they asked me a question about the numbers, I'd come back to the people and the coffee. Those are the only two subjects I want to talk about. 
Except when I ask you about the numbers for the mistake you made. I knew what they were. <laughs> I knew what they were. <laughs> I knew what they were. Well, does anybody have any questions they want to ask? Uh, okay, we, get, we got one back here. I'll just run to you. Here you go. I, I was a walk, but whatever. Thank you, Howard. That was a, a great story. Uh, the question I have for you is, uh, maybe two years ago, I was actually talking to you, Ken, and you made a comment to the effect of, I've never met a culture business that's also best in class when it comes to profits and margins, something to that effect that I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and my question of you is, there seems to be a, a tension between the profit motive in business and this, this greater purpose, people-centric approach. How do you manage that tension internally and communicate around that when making decisions with your leaders, with your team? Well, first of all, I think it's bullshit. I think that's a compound. It's not either or. It is not either or. You can make lots of money and take care of your people. The question is, are you out to maximize your profits or optimize your profits? And there's a huge difference. When you go to maximization, then you'll do anything you can to put a buck in your pocket. When you optimize your business, you realize that you've got to share that buck. And if you share the buck appropriately, if you spread it in the right way, then you're going to make more than you ever thought you'd make. I'm not new at this. Okay, I'm 78 years old. And I've been, through the, I've been through the maximizing businesses, and I've been through the optimizing businesses. And I will tell you that the optimizing businesses work better than the maximizing businesses because they're longer term and focused. You may not get the immediate buck, but you'll get the long-term buck. And those long-term bucks are more valuable. And I, I hear that all the time. And it's a cop-out. I, Costco, how many, you all know Costco? Let's take Costco and Sam's Club, Sam's Club, a division of Walmart. Walmart tended to be a maximizer. Costco tended to be an optimizer. Jeff Brotman and Jim Senegal, Jeff Brotman I knew since I was 14 years old. And they took care of their people. And as a matter of fact, when, when, when the marketplace went to those guys and say, why are you paying your people so much? The answer back was, if you don't like our stock, sell it. Right? Not we'll, t not we'll lower what we pay our people. And they are by far and away more profitable than Sam's Club. And a much better run organization. And a container store. You know container store? Chip Kindle. Or tip, yeah, chip, chip, or tip Kindle. I mean... Highly profitable store, a servant-led company. You can go on Nordstrom. They're struggling now, but all department stores are struggling. Mm -hmm. But they take care of their people. Um, I, I can go down the list. Do you want to go down the list of the opposite? How about Wells Fargo? Right? High-flying bank that, that cheated and didn't take care of their people. How about Volkswagen? Cheated, didn't take care of their people, lied to their customer to get a buck, inflated their, their miles, whatever it was, per gallon or whatever it was they got. Uh, uh, Uber. Uber, the guy that started Uber. He was a jerk. And how long has it taken them to turn it around? And the guy they bring in is a people-centric guy. Microsoft. Bill Gates, he's brilliant. He was brilliant, right? A brilliant guy. But he was a jerk. He was abusive to his people, right? And so was Steve Ballmer. And they went through 15 years of a stock price that was down. They bring in a guy that was in the company that's there now, a CEO, that totally switches the, 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 the focus to back our two people. Look at their stock. Look at the performance of Microsoft. Everybody wants to go to work for Microsoft now. Servant-led company. So that's a cop-out. When I hear that, that's just a cop-out. You know, you got to do the right things right. It doesn't mean you throw good, you're throwing money around. I'm not advocating for that. It's not. doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. You do. Performance matters in this world. Performance matters to us as individuals. It matters in our households. It matters in our workplace. And so we have to hold ourselves accountable and our people accountable. But remember, we grow businesses not on the backs of people, 
but with people. Great. We'll probably only got time for maybe two questions. So who's Oscar? We'll get, I'll get you next, George. So Oscar and then George. So uh, going back to the time when, when you were running uh, the operations and I went to apply at a job at a Starbucks as a barista yeah. or Whoever. janitor, yeah. how can I expect Starbucks to help me build, but to build me into a better person, professional, and help me achieve my goals? Okay, that's a good question. So I said we don't have a training program. We educate and develop our people. So we had an educate and, de and development program called Star Skills. So what Star Skills was about was teaching people how to become better human beings. What kind of habits did they need to create? They needed to set goals for themselves. They had to live a life of intention, with intention. And we taught them how to do that. We taught them how to write down their goals, Right? These were not only their goals for what they were, their work goals, but their personal goals. And we taught them how to work together in an environment that had tensions built in it. And how they worked together with the, their teammates. And how they made things happen. And how they aligned themselves with, with the greater purpose of the organization. We taught them how to identify what their own personal core values were. And then we taught them how to use those skills at home. It wasn't a program about business. It was a program about life. And then we would hold them accountable. They had goals that they needed to achieve, and we would sit down with them. And by the way, they could hold us accountable. The conversations about performance weren't a one-way street. My people held me accountable for my commitments, and I held them accountable for their commitments. And we, when we had performance reviews, they were giving me a performance review at the same time I was giving them one. And sometimes it was painful to listen to what they had to say. But I knew that they cared about me and I cared about them. So it, it was a constant feedback loop. Remember I said like attracts like? Once you get it going, like people attract like people. You know, and that's how it worked. And the, the good baristas, attracted good baristas. Good store managers attracted good store managers. And the ones that weren't didn't want to stay because they couldn't live within that kind of system. So, you know, when I interviewed people, I was interviewing mostly uh, senior people. I would only interview for values. I would only interview for who they were as people. I didn't really care what their accounting... If we were hiring a senior accounting person, there were other people that interviewed for that. I interviewed for who they were as human beings. I wanted to know what their brother or sister thought of them. I wanted to know the biggest conflict they had with another human being and what happened. Did they lose a friendship or did they build a permanent friendship? And how did they deal with it? I wanted to know uh, what their goals were in life. What did they want to achieve? Where were they going? What were their intentions in their life? And, and it was a conversation. And it wasn't a one-time conversation. It might be four or five times conversation before I'd hire them. You know, we're, we, weren't, we weren't hiring people. We're inviting people to join our family. There's a big difference between hiring somebody and inviting somebody to join your family. Who do you invite into your home? Huh? People you trust. And so you had to know the people. Okay, last one, then we'll take a break. So scaling from, um, well, first off, thank you, Howard, for, for coming out here. Scaling from 28 to 15,000 stores and trying to get that right leader in each place that truly cares about people and carries your core values forward. Can you elaborate on any tools or measurements that you guys had to, to a store manager and maybe timing on telling yourself that the, it was was the right person or the wrong person? Well, we had a, a tool that we had that was a simple tool. It was called Mission Review. It went out in every paycheck. And it was a card that said, tell us about anything that we have done that detracts from our mission and our greater purpose or anything that we have done that's enhancing our greater purpose. And they, if they wanted an answer back, they could write their name and, and where they were, and we'd get back to them in 72 hours. But that was constantly giving us a feedback loop. But I always found the best way to do it was I was in the stores every day of the week. 
And I had three questions that I would ask. What do you like about Starbucks? What don't you like about Starbucks? What would you change about Starbucks? And I'd ask it of every person that I met in a store. <clears throat> and after a while, when you talk to enough people, they tell you what's going on. But we would listen to our people. And, you know, were we perfect? No. Did we get wrong people in the wrong place? Yes. Did we get people that were abusive to their people? Yes. But we held them accountable. It was difficult to get fired at Starbucks for messing your numbers. Really difficult. But if you messed with the people, it was a fast way out the door. And we would work with you. We would coach you. We'd try to help you be better. But if you couldn't, if you couldn't get on board with this was a people-centric company, then you didn't belong at Starbucks. Didn't mean you were a bad human being. It's just you, this was the wrong place for you. And we, had to, we loved them as much leaving as we loved them coming in. Right? Because that's you, how you treat human beings. Even if they're not right for you, they're still human beings and they're worthy of our love. Okay. Well, Howard, thank you. Go ahead. Um, just simply, yeah, thank you for coming and giving us the time, giving everybody else's your time. I'm not sure if you have to run out of here super fast or what, but if anybody wants to come up and at least meet you or take a picture or do whatever they want, you good with that? Perfect. We're going to go ahead and take a, a 10 minute break as best you can. Go out, get a drink, whatever. Come up and talk to Howard, whatever you can. We'll try to get started as soon as we can. Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.